0: As we begin chapter two of the book of Revelation, it's important for us to keep in mind that chapter two and chapter three are connected to chapter one. Chapter two and chapter three address seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. These seven churches may have been chosen because they were located along an established trade route consisting of the most populated and influential parts of the province. But once the message was given to the churches in these prominent cities, it would naturally then be able to spread throughout the area. Although these seven letters are tailored specifically to the named churches and their stated deficiencies, because Revelation 2.7 and Revelation 2.23 speaks in plural terms, you can check that out these letters apply to all seven churches as well as us today remember when our first study when we talked about the historicist view that believes that the seven churches represent seven specific time periods in church history beginning at Pentecost and ending with the return of Christ Re- realistically there's nothing in the text to indicate that that was the purpose for Jesus' critique of these seven churches. Jesus was speaking to these seven churches that were, that were ministering, were serving him specifically all at the same time in this particular period of time. But that being said, the Lord rarely works in a linear, linear fashion. I've always said he's the quintessential conservationist. Uh, nothing is ever wasted. And so Romans eight twenty eight tells us that all things work together for the good, for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. That being said, that being taken into consideration in regards to these seven letters, uh, we see that God is usually then working on a 360 degree grid. Not linear, but 360, and it's noteworthy that through the luxury of hindsight, we can see a very interesting Correlation between these seven churches and how their individual descriptions do seem to align with church history There's nothing in the text to specifically support that view But we will be looking at it from time to time. It's fascinating and as we go through these different churches these different uh, periods of time if you will that are, are uh, expressed through each situation the church is going through it will be very interesting but where we are today, what's going on with us today, I believe we can take Hebrews 4.12-13, through 13, which you all are very familiar with. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked, and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. And then you look at 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all of us, We'll be able to learn something from the words that Jesus has for these seven churches it's not just that we are we are reading about a historical period of time certain we are but the application the way God's word wants to work in our lives we will be able to see that one of the ways that we can look at this is is historically what's taking place and how these these words from Jesus were communicated to these seven churches and what they were going through at the time, we then will be able to look at the interesting point of view, looking back in hindsight, as to how each church can possibly represent a certain period of time in church history. But most importantly, Christian, you and I will be able to see ourselves in the descriptions in the deficiencies in the in the in the in the warnings that Jesus gives each one of these churches because we have the characteristics of each one of these churches we all want to be the church of Philadelphia the one that Jesus is pleased with but we're going to find that we all have Characteristics from these churches that we need to pray about, we need to take to heart, and ask the Lord how he would show us through this area of Scripture to, to be more effective, more fervent in our prayers, more focused on who it is that he is and how he would have us conduct our lives. Father, we pray once again that you'd be our teacher. Lord, don't let my excitement, don't let my... Uh, Difficulty with with speaking to an empty room, get in the way, Lord. I pray that you would speak to your people this day. I thank you so much that we live in a day and age where we can do this. I pray that you would bless each one this morning as they are there probably relaxing with their coffee. I pray, Lord God, that they have their Bibles open and they are hungry and ready to receive your word. And that being the case, we ask most importantly that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that Jesus would be glorified in all that takes place in this church this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to back up just a tad. Don't worry, I'm not going to start at the very first. But as I said, uh, chapters 1 is is connected to 2 and 3. So Revelation chapter 1 verses 19 through 20, says write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place. Once again, put this in your Bible. Revelation has a perfect outline. It's communicated right there in verse 19 of chapter 1. He told John the Beloved, write the things which you have seen, the things that were taking place as he walked the earth with Jesus, as he saw the miracles, as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ taken to the cross, as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ ascending up into heaven. Write the things that you have seen and the things which... Are the things now that are taking place, some uh, many would say uh, 60 years after Jesus's uh, crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Write the things which are the state of the church, what he's seeing taking place, and then the things which will take place after this. And just a little sidebar that I wanna touch base with you, but this word after this is called metatauta. After these things we will see as we continue. It's an important focus because right there after a certain event has taken place Obviously there will be one that will follow and so in this particular outline write the things which you have seen underline that in your Bible and the things which are and the things which will take place after this The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. Revelation chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars, and you have preserved and have patient and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary." Beautiful, beautiful exhortation there, a beautiful description of what Jesus was seeing in this church. One of the things that we wanna touch base with in the beginning, uh, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, I don't believe that we have that much difficulty in understanding this. There are uh, pastors out there, there are theologians, there are people who have, have, have forgotten more than I will probably ever know and they will think that this this angel of the church is actually, they're talking about angels. I do not agree. The word angel is angelos. The word angelos is used in regards to to John the Baptist, that he was a messenger, that he brought forth the, 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 the message that Jesus was coming forth, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, the lamb who takes away the, the sins of the world. He was a messenger that God used and that word is called angelos. And so it's important to look at this in that context, I believe, because the thing that is, is kind of concerning to me I believe he's talking to pastors. He's talking about overseers in the churches. Those people who are going to have a greater sense of judgment. Those people who who have, 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 have been called into the ministry, and the reason that they have been called into the ministry is because God has done that and has seen those individuals as vessels that he would desire to use for that specific work. We've all been called to minister in some capacity. But to this area, he's talking about the angel, the the overseer of the church of Ephesus. Write these things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. What we see right there is is an omnipresence right now. Jesus is walking in in the midst simultaneously at the same time amidst the candle stands of all of these churches, these messengers, these, these, these pastors, these overseers that are responsible for maintaining an atmosphere that's conducive for Jesus Christ to be able to shine in his church, he's walking amidst all of these. Don't want to get ahead of myself. He says, I know your works, your labor and your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. In other words, they're recognized by these people who have the gift of discernment as phonies, as as people who are more uh, desiring to fleece the flock instead of feed the flock. And you have persevered and you have patience and you have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. The messenger or the pastor of the Church of Ephesus was to write these words down for Jesus. The city of Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city with many similarities to our cities today, whether it's LA, uh, Las Vegas, New York City, New Orleans, Pahrump, I'm taking Pahrump, probably wouldn't fall within that category. But the city was known for its widespread sexual immorality because it was, the, it was the center of worship for, for Artemis, the, the, the god of, of fertility, this Ar- Artemis worship. Uh, Diana was the goddess of this worship, the goddess of fertility. And so the way that they carried out their religious activities, it, it's pretty vile, but they would go into these temples and they would have relations with the temple prostitutes and it was it was totally totally a lascivious and and dark place that's where they were functioning real quick it's also important for us to keep in mind that john who wrote this letter john the beloved the apostle john that's where he had been ministering before he was finally arrested as it told us in 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 the scripture last week for for the word of god and the testimony of jesus they tried to boil him in oil, tried to torture him to death, kill him in a horrific manner, didn't do any good, didn't didn't hurt him, and so what they thought, well, we'll send him to this island of Patmos, we'll get him out of the way. He'll be over there, so if he wants to preach to the rocks and the lizards, it won't be a problem, nobody will hear him, but what God did was all things, as I had said, working together for the good, I have a feeling, and I don't want to speak too much into this, but But God set Jesus up. And this is a good point right here, Christian. God placed placed John the Beloved on Patmos where the distractions were at an absolute minimum. And he could pray and he could think about his situation and God was able to speak to him. And we then were blessed with this amazing book of Revelation. Now listen where we are today. God has placed us in our homes. He's told us not to go out. He's told us to, to not be running to and fro, thinking we've got to go to Starbucks, thinking we've got to do this, got to run to Walmart, got to go into... He, has, he has, has brought us, just like he did, John the Beloved, to a place where we need to stay at home. And in doing so, as our lives slow down, I believe that God wants to be able to speak to us. I don't know that it'll be something as powerful as he spoke to John the Beloved, but he wants to speak to you, he wants to get your attention, perhaps the cell phones, all of the internet stuff, all of your Facebook stuff, all of these things have been dominating your life, and he's got you at home right now, where you're sitting there maybe right now in your flannel jammies, with your cup of coffee, with your Bible in your lap, he wants to talk to you, He wants to get you alone so he can communicate his heart to yours that your heart will be changed into his heart and you then will be able to navigate and to respond to the issues of this life in a manner that would bring glory to Jesus. That's what we're here for and that's where this letter is going to. We look at this church, he talks about, I know your works, your labors, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil and you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and you found them out to be liars. These Christians weren't engaged in the worldliness. They weren't participating in the sexual immorality associated with the pagan temple worship of Artemis, uh, the goddess of fertility. They hadn't rejected the teachings of Christ. Their doctrine was sound. So much so that they were able to discern. They, they could hear somebody when their, when their doctrine was off just a slant. When They could, they could hear somebody when they, when they were saying things that were not biblically sound. They were able to do that and they knew what was being taught was, was correct. And so this sounds like a pretty good church. Spurgeon says this, the Ephesian church was a doctrinally pure church. Sometimes a focus... On doctrinal purity will make a congregation cold, suspicious, and intolerant of diversity. When love dies, orthodox doctrine becomes a corpse, a powerless formalism. Adhesion to the truth sours into bigotry when the sweetness and light of love to Jesus departs you know you hear these expressions about the fact that that you you he says you hate the the these certain you hate the the sin but you don't hate the sinner one of the problems that starts to happen when we're moving away and we are functioning um, in our own perspective as to how we define spirituality apart of from the definition that the holy spirit would give us to define it we can become critical we can we can be fault finders and we end up forgetting we start we start hating the sinner instead of the sin and christian we're not supposed to do that we are to love it's the activities it's the lifestyle contrary to jesus christ that we are to hate we're not to hate the sinner we are to love and when we start getting into a mode where, where we're going through, and this is a direction that this, that this area is, is taking us, where we are by rote just going through the motions of, 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 of religion and, and Christianity, it's a dangerous place. And we'll see how that danger can be manifest. He goes on to say that these people, they persevered. Verse three, and they have patience. We're supposed to have patience and we're supposed to have perseverance and have labored for my name's sake and they've not become leader. Now, the the key word here is labored. They have worked for my name's sake. They persevered for my name's sake. They have patience for my name's sake. In fact, James five, seven through eight tells us Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Hallelujah. Little sidebar. Once again, that is called the, 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 the imminent return of Christ. You, you see that throughout this scripture. People get caught up in, in saying that Jesus can't return until this happens. Jesus can't return until that happens. They get into their, their little pet clubs that I'm a pre-tribber, I'm a post-tribber, I belong to the pre-wrath group, I'm a mid-tribber. No, no, Jesus can come whenever he desires. It's called the imminent return. And there's a beautiful scripture to support that. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So they were holding fast to the faith in in face of suffering, in face of difficulties, and the church that was sound in the truth, and and they didn't tolerate evil. They wouldn't put up with it. They wouldn't allow leaven into the church as they would define it. They even hated the teachings and the works of the the uh, Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, excuse me, and that's obviously a, a false teaching, uh, which we know very little about. If you, if you look up Nicolaitans, there will be people that will try to give you some ideas. But basically what we know is when we get to this area of Scripture that, that yeah, I believe, uh, verse 6, uh, Jesus, Jesus commended them for their disdain towards these Nicolaitans. It's thought that they were people that were bringing in, once again, this antinomian type of lifestyle, that it was a, 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 they were exploiting the grace of God in such a way that they were sinning and causing other people to fall into sin. They were, they were speaking uh, uh, words that were contrary to the word of God as if they were words of God and, and creating all types of difficulty in the church and problems. But we look at this prior, so they had that kind of discernment. They, they had that kind of, of, of description. And it sounds like a great church. It sounds like a, a church that we'd all like to go to, that everything was just in line, but everything was not in line. Why? Well, Jesus continues, verse 4, Nevertheless, nevertheless means everything that I said that you were doing, all those things that I was talking about that you were doing prior, nevertheless, in spite of those things, I have this against you. What could possibly be that Jesus have against us when we've gone through all of these these different uh, efforts to maintain a purity and a holiness within the church? How can that be? Well, what he has against them is that they've left their first love And this is so powerful you guys this is so so powerful do you know that you can be very religious without worshiping jesus do you know that you can come to church and and you can you can minister you can high-five christians hallelujah brother you can you can talk the talk and and do all of the and walk the walk on the exterior and not be fellowshipping with Jesus? You can have churches all over that are busy, busy, dreadfully busy, and they're not even thinking about Jesus. They have looked at a definition of what the church is supposed to do, and they start trying to fill in boxes. Well, do we have this? Do we have this? Have we done that? Are we doing these things? And they do all of that in their own perspective and their own views as to how they think a church should look and how it should respond. And the sad reality is, and I ain't knocking it, don't don't think I am, But some of the largest churches in the country are the ones that have moved into maintaining their agenda to keep their machine running without thinking about how Jesus would really have them to be ministering. They are presumptuously ministering. My pastor, I love him, Pastor John Michaels. Man, I miss that guy. I remember he he was he was he was a little shorter than me. He had these huge hands. And I remember when we would pray, we'd always have our meetings and he would pray and I'd watch Pastor John take these huge hands together like that. And his prayer was, Lord God, do not let us operate under a spirit of presumption. Because when you're presuming something, you are just moving in your own thoughts, your own views, your own perspectives that we would never manage the church, that we would never minister with presumption, that we would always seek first the kingdom of God, that we would always be bringing our prayers and supplications to him with thanksgiving, that we would be able to have him speaking what he would desire to see taking place in the church. And what was happening here with everything that they were doing, it looked like a great church, let's all go to it. Everything that they were doing, Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. you've left your first love it's interesting because Jesus made it clear he said in Matthew 22 37 through 38 you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and great commandment and, and and so often one of the things that we do in our in our in our studies in our walk in our in our life as Christians we can we can spout that the first commandment you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind but but do we stop a second long enough to go below the surface do we love the Lord with all of our heart not part of it but all of our heart. Do we, have, do we have hidden idols within our heart? Do we have skeletons in the closet? Do we have rooms that we tell the Lord we don't want him to go in there? Don't go in there, Lord. We're supposed to love him with all of our heart that there would be no place for compromise, no place in our heart for anything, anything or anyone but Jesus. The first commandment, the great commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind, and it's interesting because as I was looking at this, love. Think about it. Love requires a choice. You can choose to love, or you can choose not to love. When you read the love chapter in in First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter. It, these are things that you do. That that you are you are not to keep track of wrongs. That you are you are to to be your brother's keeper, that you are to encourage. These are things that you do. Love requires a choice. And here, think about this. If it didn't, it would not have been commanded. It was just be, oh, it's natural. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian. I automatically love. No, love requires a choice. Otherwise, it would not be commanded. And so then, in, in this effort to, to please God through your presumptuousness, through your agenda, as this church who's, who's fighting the fight, doing what they think they're supposed to be doing, in, in <coughs> excuse me, just a regular cough, don't worry about it, um, that, that, they would, that they would be leaving their first love. And I, I, they have become so familiar with the things of God that they no longer have to pray so familiar with the things of God that they don't seek first the kingdom of God. They, they know how to do that. I heard a guy many years ago talk to somebody and goes, yeah, well, this is the way we do church. This is the way we, are you serious? This is the way we do church? We desire to do church the way Jesus wants us to. When we put God in a box and have a formula, all we're going to have is, is a, a dead church that might look good from the outside. But what we want is the Spirit of God, Jesus, to be able to move freely through the church amidst these these lampstands and that the light of Jesus, the light of the world, would be able to illuminate the church in such a way that it would spill over, pour over into a lost, dark world, and people's lives would be changed. Interesting little story. Two New England girls worked in a textile factory. Mary went away on a visit for several months. Returning and meeting her friend on the street, she asked her, Maggie, are you working at that same old factory? I'm not working at all, Maggie said, I'm married." When you think about it, to be married, she was probably busier with the housework than she'd ever been at the factory. But she toiled unconscious of the work because it was for her husband. They would part with an embrace as he went to work in the morning. And as she prepared the evening meal, she would anxiously look out the window for his return. And as he neared their home, she would run to meet him. All her labor was a mere circumstance swallowed up in devotion to her husband. But... Days, weeks, and months passed, and she became occupied with the details of her housekeeping and her own life. She prepared the meals, she kept the house in as good, perhaps better order, but she gradually changed her habit of watching for her husband at night or going eagerly to meet him as he was returning home as he would leave in the morning she would call goodbye now from upstairs as he leaves instead of going down and having one more embrace before he's off to work that's powerful that's a good picture of what takes place we start off madly in love with the Lord this church started off madly in love with the Lord they realize that apart from Christ we can do nothing that there is no other name given to man by which we must be saved. They knew this, they took it to heart, and they were able to withstand the persecutions historically that were taking place around the entire area in which these seven letters were written. But then they kind of got numb. They kind of got used to it. And he said, you've left your first love. And I think that's interesting. I think you should think about that, Christian. I think it's a, a sobering exhortation right there. Notice that they didn't lose their first love. They walked away from their first love. Religi- religion has taken the place of personal devotion to the bridegroom, their religion has usurped or taken the place to their personal devotion to the bridegroom. And how did it happen? Well, think about it. If you lose something, you tear the house apart to find it. I mean, you're throwing things around. You're, it's like the, uh, the, the, the parable of the lost coin, remember? And the, the lady lost that coin and she swept her house clean trying to find it. And when she finally found it, she called her friends and celebrated the fact that she found her lost coin. But to leave something to leave something you have to walk away from it so by turning their relationship with the Lord into a list of do's and don'ts this don't do that do that don't do this they removed the need for prayer And fellowship with the Lord we don't need to that was one of the problems that the Pharisees had the Pharisees thought that if they would maintain everything right down to the jot and tittle Jesus says you guys you guys you strain at a gnat and you choke on a camel meaning that you are so caught up in doing everything the way you think you're supposed to do it that you strain on a gnat and then you commit huge massive sins that that are are much greater than the fact that if you had accidentally inhaled a gnat as you were walking down the street their hypocrisy because you guys are white whitewashed tombs they look very good on the outside yet on the inside he says you're full of dead man's bones why because they removed the need for prayer they removed the the need for fellowship with god and operating in a manner in which the pharisees thought well if we keep the law and we do everything that we're supposed to god's obligated to respond to us he has to respond to us Well, this church at Ephesus, they weren't quite that bad, but what they had done over possibly 30, 35, 40 years now of of, of serving Jesus, it had become routine. This is what we do. This is the way we do church. And they had left their first love, the first love that had inspired and motivated them to live the crucified life in Christ, to pick up their cross daily and follow the Lord. When we look at this, we think that our, our actions, your actions, their actions are going to come out as an overflow of love. That's what they should come out. All that we do, we've got the man, I, I miss you I miss you guys so much. I miss praying with you guys back there as as, as, as Rob is, is praying for the offering and, uh, and 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 being able just to see you people to be able to hug people I, I miss you all but you think about the guys that that help with the offering the Sunday school teachers all the things that you're doing are supposed to be because you love Jesus not because you're trying to coerce him or trying to to pressure him into having to respond to you because, come on, Jesus, after all, (laughs) I help with the offering buckets. Come on, Jesus, after all, (laughs) I teach Sunday school. No, he wants you to teach Sunday school out of a love that you have for him. Going to church, are you ready for this? Going to church, you don't have to go to church. Praying, I wouldn't recommend it, I don't know how you could have a life that would be uh, peaceful and a blessing with God if you're not praying, but you don't have to pray. The Bible doesn't say you have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to tithe. Christian, you don't have to do these things if you do them in order to keep yourself on the good side with God. If you come to church because you say, you know, I come to church and 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 it's it seems to make my week better. Why do you go to church? Well, you know, it just seems to have our our family just runs better when we go to church. Well, well, you know, well, you know, uh, praying, well, praying's good because I can I can talk to the Lord and and it kind of I walk away and I just feel better. I feel better. Reading your Bible well, I think I should read the Bible a little bit, and I do. I kind of open it up and just kind of, you know, you know. Okay, what does that one say? And, and throw a dart into the, the Bible and, and read from it. Tithing. And I'm kind of paying God off here, you know. I'm tithing. I've been tithing, God, keep those tires on the car, keep the car running, help me pay for the kids' education, help me pay the bills, keep the shingles on the roof, all of these things. Christian, you don't have to do these things. If you do these things for any other reason than because God has touched your heart, it it, it ain't gonna do anything. Why, Ephesians, drum roll please, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, you guys know the scripture, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. God provided that. It's not of works. It's not of going to church, praying, reading the Bible, tithing. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Your works, our works, and this church in Ephesus' works were supposed to be acts of love. Acts of love that started when, when they just wanted to, to be close to the Lord. And how can I be close to the Lord? How can I talk? I need. To, I want to pray, man. I want to pray. Hey, I don't have time to, you know, to watch something on TV. I'd rather pray. You know, I I don't really have time to be doing this particular activity constantly. I get to read the Word of God because when I open it up, I I hear the Lord speaking to me. These are His love letters to me, and I love the Lord. I want to... Tithing? Oh, I get to tithe. I get to, to tell God, thank you that you are my Jehovah-Jireh. Thank you that you've provided a lamb for my salvation without spot or blemish, Jesus, my Lord, Savior. And thank you for providing me everything I need then for life and godliness. Through Jesus Christ. Thank you. Here, everything I own, everything I have, every breath that I breathe comes from you. Oh, Lord, here I, I'm so blessed. I'm blessed. It's an honor to be able to give my first fruits to you. It's not begrudgingly, it's an act of worship. And our works should be acts of love. Spurgeon says, The problem was serious with the church of Ephesus because without love, all is vain. No wonder Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Because a church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her heart or when that love grows cold. Lose love, lose it all. When a church just looks good on the outside, when a church is busy, busy, dreadfully busy, this is the way we do, church. And Jesus is no longer the center, the motivation, the heart behind everything that you do, I do, the church would do, this church at Ephesus would do. They're serious problems, serious problems. So often you'll hear... Tell evangelists and they'll talk about these things and I was listening to this this guy the other day and and I'm I'm going Okay, well, come on. Come on. Come on. This sounds nice And and he was one of these young guys and and he's with I'm not gonna say the name But he's with a a church that has a very very they're known for their great worship Figure it out yourself and I'm listening to this guy talk and 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 this young man never said anything about Jesus he talked about what you're supposed to be able to do. He talked about how you're supposed to be able to navigate this life. He talked about how you're supposed to be a winner. He's talked about how you should be able to walk in, in, in a faith that allows you to be strong and to be able to persevere through all these challenges. He never once said that those are gifts, abilities, blessings that come from Jesus. That big church... Kicking bands, great worship music, selling more records than some of the secular artists today. But where's Jesus? What's being said that's going to be taken to heart that's going to give somebody eternal life, not just get you through tomorrow, but get you through eternity? This whole issue that we're going through right now, I call it a speed bump. And beyond that speed bump, In in spite of how large you want to define it or describe it on the other side of that speed bump Christian We have eternity Why because we are children of one who has said I will never leave you. I will never forsake you Nothing can separate me from from my love Nothing can separate you from my love that makes you want to say. Oh Thank you, Lord.
1: Thank you God.
0: Oh, you're so good how can I bless you today? God, you bless me all the time. How can I bless you today? And he might say, hey, I'd like you to call, call somebody. See how they're doing on my, on my behalf. Hey, I'd like you to maybe take some of these extra groceries that you have and, and, and take them over and give them to somebody you know didn't have the ability to get out and, 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 and beat the rush when everybody started going to the grocery stores. Okay, Father, I'd be, I'm, I, would be, I would be more than happy to do that. Because it will bless you. My desire is to bless you, Lord. So we look at this. He says, remember, remember, remember what it used to be like. You remember how it used to be, verse 5. Remember, therefore. Therefore, when you see the therefore, you ask you what the therefore is therefore. Remember everything I previously said. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Remember what it used to be like. Remember how holy, how pure, how you used to love to worship the Lord. How you didn't watch your look at your watch when you're in church. How you say, oh, do we have to stop? Can't we keep going? Let's, let's stop and take a, take a break and come back and, and, and study God's Word some more. Let's have a Bible study. Let's worship the Lord. Let's have an afterglow. Let's turn the lights down in the sanctuary and just sing our praises to God. I don't need to be home, and if I'm a little tired tomorrow, big deal when I go to work. I'm with my Father. This is the best place on the planet to be. Remember, therefore from where you have fallen. It used to be like that. Remember when you were with God in that type of intimacy. Remember the love for God that you had at the beginning. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus Christian. And he's speaking to you and me today. Remember the love of God that you had in the beginning. And and, and, and if we don't have it, if there's anybody out there, I pray, I, you know, I, I know that there are. I started to say, I pray that there's not, but I know that there are. I know I, I talk to people I listen to them and I and, 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 and not in our church but I, I, I hear that they, they have this relationship with God because if' they're superstitious they think that they have to have God on their their side or or else everything's going to fall apart and I like what Jobs is though they slay me man I'm going to worship God that we're not Trying to worship God just so everything is is hunky-dory. There's a a Greek expression for you, hunky-dory. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Sorry about that. Anyway, but we we have to remember. We need to ask ourselves if we're not walking with the Lord like we used to, if we're not reading our Bibles like we used to, if we're not praying like we used to, we need to ask our Lord what happened. Think about this. How many of y'all, hey has anybody seen my car keys? Has anybody seen my car keys? And what's the answer? Well, when did you have them last? Where was the last place you had them? Well, I, I came in and I put them right next to the toaster. They're always, Well, that was the last place you remember. Christian, listen to me. I, 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 when did you stop noticing a sunset? When did you become so dreadfully busy? I've got to get going, God. Let's, let's walk and talk. I don't have time to pray. We're going to talk on the, on the way from the, 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 the kitchen into the garage. I'm going to get in the car. We're going to drive down. I'm going to pray a little bit as long as I can't get a good reception of, of Fox News, you know, in the morning. And, and, and let's walk and talk, God. When did you stop noticing a sunset? When was the last time When was the last time you were overwhelmed by God's grace? When was the last time you sat there and you thought, you pondered grace and what that means to you? I've said it before. Until somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the most important expression in their life is, lest a man, lest a woman be born again. Once you've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the most beautiful, important, Word, I believe, in your vocabulary is the grace of God. We are saved by grace, this free gift, this unmerited favor that God has bestowed upon us through faith in Jesus Christ. When was the last time you looked out at the stars? We live out here in Prompt. You can see the Milky Way, it's incredible. You've looked at those stars and said, Oh God, you're so amazing. Listen to this, Jeremiah. 522 through 24. Do you not fear me? Says the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence? Who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it? And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail, though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain both the former and the latter in its season. Have you lost your awe for God? The church of Ephesus was so busy they didn't even realize that it happened. They hadn't stopped to think about it. They hadn't stopped to to remember how things had changed. So he says, repent and do the first works. Repent and go back to what you were supposed to be doing. Or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Because the lamps stand that we are to be the lights of the world, the salt of the earth. And, and if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it the scripture says? And you don't take a light and you put it under a bed or under a bushel. You don't hide it. It's supposed to be there to illuminate uh, this dark world in such a way that it acts like a, like a beacon. It acts like a lighthouse. And people can use it as a warning. People can use it as a direction. People can use it to help them see clearly. That's what God has called us to do. And he says to repent and go back and you do what you did when you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Telling people about Jesus, ministering in the grocery store, talking to your family members. Or else I'll come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place because our purpose is to shine for the Lord and my purpose as a pastor is to encourage you and challenge and provoke you to good works that this church would be a church that would shine for the Lord and this one scares me because if I'm not doing my job the Lord could come and remove my lampstand and the question is would we even know it? Would we even know it? Could we be so caught up in our own agenda that we don't even know that this is a dead church? We don't even know that that we're not seeking God, we're not loving God, we are not fellowshipping with God, we're not having intimacy with God like we did when we first got saved. Oh, it's a scary thing. We are told in Hebrews that we are to encourage one another as long as it's called today, lest our hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Repent and do the things you did at first, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And to repent, you guys, is not just to say, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When, when my daughters were growing up, uh, somebody, one of the children would do something that would hurt the other children, and, and we'd say, okay, what do you do? And, and One child would say, I'm sorry, and the other child would say, I forgive you, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Sometimes I'd look, and I'd go, I don't know if they were really sorry. They got the I forgive you, but I don't know if they were really sorry, because then it just becomes, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry, you know know that we would repent because to repent is to change your mind. The word repent is to change your mind and that changing of your mind would cause you to change directions, to not go in that direction that was unpleasing to the Lord. And if that does not take place and repairs are not made, he says they will be judged for not having the love they were commanded to have. Because love for the Lord is that which will allow us to live a crucified life in Christ. Love for the Lord allows us for the glory of God to turn the other cheek. Love for the Lord allows us to go the extra mile. Love for the Lord allows us to give somebody more than they ask for. These are things that are done because we love the Lord, and we want Jesus to be glorified in our lives, and their opportunity to shine in a dark world if they did not have the love for the Lord would be lost. They might be gathering, claiming to be followers of Jesus, but how can we be Christ's if we've fallen out of love with him? How can we belong to our Lord Jesus if we've fallen out of love with him? And and don't let your theology, right? It drives me crazy, a little soapbox here, you guys but all of a sudden we start getting into our isms. We start getting into uh, all of these, these scriptures that, that, that force me to say, oh, I can't lose my salvation, or this again never happen, or nobody can pluck. It, nobody's gonna pluck you out of his hand, but it does not say that, that you cannot do a back handspring out of his hand. It, yes, you, you know, you, if, you, if you, have, you, you haven't lost, you have left. If you leave something, you walk away from it. And so I, I don't get caught up in your, in your ism right now. Please continue to track with me. Because these people might be gathering, claiming to be followers of Jesus, but if they've actually fallen out of love with him and they're just going through the motions because that's what we do in America. We go to church. We're trying to look like a Norman Rockwell painting as we walk down the street, you know, with the steeple in the background. And this is what we do. And then we come home and we have fried chicken or roast beef. And then maybe in the afternoon, if we've got time, we go to the golf course. Not that I have a problem with any of those things. But we need to do all of those things as unto the Lord with a heart that recognizes how blessed we are. So you ask the question here. Well, how, how bigs? what are you saying? How deep should my love for the Lord be? Come on. How deep should it be? Well... Luke 14:26 and 27 uh, kind of gives us an idea if anyone comes to me and does not relatively speaking hate his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes and his own life he cannot be my disciple These are not words that that the political correct mindset, the conventional wisdom of the day should be attempting to, to redefine in light of the culture and the mores that we live by. This is the word of God, the living and active word of God that we talked about. And this is a truth, a perspective that God wants us to take to heart. Of course, he doesn't expect you to hate your mother and father, to hate people. But what he does expect is your love, my love to be so much greater than any kind of love that we can imagine. This side of glory, that comparison, comparatively speaking, these people would be way, way, way down on the list that our love for the Lord. And, And here's the beauty, a little sidebar. And I've said this before, but I want you to get it. You can't be the friend you need to be. You can't be the spouse you need to be. You can't be the employee you need to be. You can't be the citizen you need to be if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because there will be just enough flesh in there to pollute, to undermine, to start to diminish the power that God desires to display through you and the Holy Spirit that would turn a lost and dying world to Him. There won't be any place for you because if we're loving the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, there'll be no place for compromise. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And once again, I said in the introduction, we're not clear about who the Nicolaitans were, but we do know that that the views they embraced were so contrary to the things of God that, that Jesus says, I hate these people too. That the way they were stumbling people, the way they were polluting the church, the way they were inter- was such that Jesus says, I hate them too. You're doing good there. It's good that you hate these cats because these guys are bringing nothing but danger, discord, challenges, tears, and, and ultimately lies that will send somebody down the wrong path. And so, yeah, Jesus, I, I, I hate them too. You're doing good. It's good that you hate those people. But then he goes on to say, but he who has an ear, if you guys are listening to me, Jesus is saying to this church at Ephesus, the one who walks among the lampstands, the one who is omnipresent, that's right there within all the churches. He's seeing all of these churches. This is something that all of the churches need to be thinking about. The other churches aren't going, wow, the church of Smyrna is not going, wow, boy, Jesus really got over the church at Ephesus, didn't he? No, 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 no. These are all for the churches to learn from, to grow from, and to find a greater perspective that will, utilize, that will bring them to a deeper relationship with Jesus. And he says, hey, hey, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. If the churches will just listen and do what Jesus is telling them to do, the blessings are eternal. If we will just listen, read God's word, asking the Lord, what do you want me to glean from this area of scripture? That you would pray, oftentimes we pray after the, that you would pray before you have your Bible study in the morning, Father, I'm getting ready to pick up my Bible. I want you to speak to me this day. I know you have a word for me. If if the church will just listen and do what Jesus is telling them to do through the spirit. He says he will grant them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is so powerful because we know in Genesis 2, 8, 9, gives a little history here, going way back. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this is a picture of the Garden of Eden. This is the way God had, had set everything up, and these trees were there. These trees were there. But it was something that was not available, not, not available to them at the time. Then we look at, at, the, at the fall, Genesis 3, 22. After, after the fall had taken place, the Lord said, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. A little sidebar there, there's a plural. There's a plural right there. Those of you who are looking for supporting scriptures to the Trinity. But behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And this is powerful. And, and, And my wife pointed this out to me a number of years back. And it brings tears to my eyes. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And in your Bible, it's dot, dot, dot. God doesn't even finish the sentence. The thought of man living forever in that, in in a state of fallenness, in a state of sin, in a state of separation from the Father was something that is so touching and so powerful in the scripture. And now, Lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. If I may say this, God's like, I, 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 I don't even want to think about that. And so we know what happened. They were banished from the garden, and there was an angel with a firing sword that says, Hey, you're not coming back in here. He's saying, Return to your first love. Receive the coming promise of eternal life in the paradise of God. Now, at one time, I was keeping you away for your own good from this tree of life. Now, come to me and have life and have it more abundantly. I have come to give you life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is a God of life. He is a God of, of joy. He is a God of love. He is a God of power. He is a God of purity. He's a God of holiness. And He is the one that when we weren't even looking for Him, He sought us out. And I don't know where you had that moment where you realized that you were a child of God's, where you called upon the name of the Lord, where you all of a sudden heard your prayers going from now I lay me down to sleep, you know, to, to deeper prayers that were intimate communication with God, but where those things took place,
1: remember that.
0: Remember that because He now has come to give us life. And those who hear what the Spirit says to the churches, Those who overcome the propensity to get caught up in in, in just routine. Those who forget what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, those who overcome those frailties, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which at one time I was keeping you from which is in the midst of paradise. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Christian, I want us to be fresh every day with our relationship with God. I don't want it to be stale for any of us. I don't want us to look at God like something that every, every American who's raised under a Judeo-Christian type of, of value system or ideals or mores or whatever it might be, ends up taking God for granted, expecting God to jump through hoops for you, expecting God to do everything for you so you'll be happy this side of glory. We're going through something that's powerful right now, and he told us in the world you're gonna have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And you and I and the body of Christ, we are overcomers, as the scripture says, because we desire to keep Jesus first, foremost, in our hearts that we will have no gods before him. Any idols that we place that would compete with him, we jettison those things. That nothing, nothing would hinder, pollute our love and relationship and intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ. This church is Ephesus, Got a beautiful morning, got a great morning. And I believe that it's just as relevant for us today that we would remember that we serve a God that loves us. And if we have come close to leaving our first love, go back and do those things that you did in the beginning and bless the Lord. God bless you guys. Oh, I, miss, I would love to hug you all right now. I miss you all so much, but we have Jesus, and the spirit of Jesus can, we can right now, we can right now receive an embrace from our Lord, which is so much more important than anything I could ever give you, anything you could ever give me. We have everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it's a free gift because he called us by his glory and excellence, not ours. Let's worship God. Let's be thankful
1: for what he's given us. Amen. Amen. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid, afraid I've lost my way. Lord, still you're here right beside me. So nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me till the end. Because thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. Unto my path.
0: He's our light. He'll get us through this dark world. He'll get us through these dark times. Be blessed.
1: The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. You take that encouragement and you share it with somebody who needs to hear it. God bless you all. God bless you. I'll be praying. I know you are.